Welcome to Deep Breath In, the podcast from the BMJ, sponsored by Medical Protection, where we tackle the everyday challenges of being a GP. In today's episode, we're fresh from the Wonka and RCGP conference, and we're ready to share some of the best bits with you, including a chat about continuity with RCGP chair Martin Marshall, and a great example of how to be a truly community-based GP in Emma Gladwin-Field. So listen on for the full conference experience, but without the pens and COVID. I'm Tom Nolan, a GP and clinical editor for the BMJ, and I'm joined by my fellow conference um, delegate, uh, Navjoy Tai. Hi, Tom. Um, my name's Navjoy Larder. I'm a clinical editor at the BMJ and a locum GP. And yeah, fellow conference delegate, fellow trying to get freebies, but not really. Oh, well. Uh, but it was fun. But I, we should say Jenny Jenny would usually be joining us and was very keen to hear all about um, conference, but she's she's unwell, isn't she? So we'll we'll see her next time and tell her all about it then. Get well soon, Jenny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what was your highlight, though, of the conference? Well, it was good to be back in, in person, wasn't it? The first time we saw each other in like two years. I know, but that doesn't have to be your highlights. But um... <laughs> well, okay. Apart from that, which, <laughs> which you know, um, genuinely, it was really lovely. Of course, yeah. um, but uh, it was, um, it was really good just to hear. I guess GPs talking about the challenges that they're facing and feeling that being acknowledged and you know that's always quite validating to hear um, hmm. that there's recognition of of some of the difficulties. Um, that are being faced and that and that did seem to be a big theme you know people um so I mean as weird as it seems to sort of say oh my highlight was people talking about how general practice in, is in crisis it felt like there are people who recognize the kind of scale of challenge ahead and are trying to think of ways and energize people and kind of mobilize resources I suppose to mm. try and improve things so that I think was good um, hmm. yeah how about you me uh I had nothing quite as um high high-minded as that I think I just enjoyed apart from when we were on the stand having to, to, to do all that side of it um it's just nice like rifling through your program isn't it and deciding what what you want to go and look at and then and then getting there and then wishing you went to something else <laughs> That, yeah, actually, I was really out of practice at that. At that kind of yeah, just being at a conference. It, that was that was fun. Yeah, yeah, and the week coffee and you know the, the sort of poster exhibits, all that. It was yeah, good. yeah. Uh, but should we try and we, so we're going to have a couple of we, we made did quite a few interviews, didn't we? We had our roving mic and we 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 recorded a few uh, interviews when we had built up the energy to do so. But yeah. um, so we're going to hear a couple of those today. Uh, but what what were the other themes? Because what one was continuity, wasn't it? That was the the topic of Martin Marshall's keynote um, speech. So we're going to hear from him. But uh, what else was there before we go on to that? Well, it felt like the conference was trying to tackle some of the the big issues, really. So I think workforce was another big theme. Um, thinking about the you know the various challenges related to shortages, um, and then health inequity was another big theme mm. yeah yeah there was some quite sort of blistering remarks about um the current political landscape shall we say yeah. um yeah yeah so and that so that was all um 
Yeah, I suppose that relates to what I felt was kind of a highlight is that there is at least a recognition of, of what's happening. And and it felt it felt quite kind of um, motivating at times to hear that. Um, and obviously, post COVID recovery, you know, speaking of COVID, that that came up a lot, mm. you know, and this idea of the new normal and, and what is the new normal and Oh, did, did um, I didn't I missed that? I, I, mean, I am slightly allergic to that phrase. Did that come up a bit? Did it? Yeah, it did in some of the talks I right. I went to. Although, although not not that much. I, I felt like a, few, a bit, but like I felt like COVID was kind of um, not not that spoken about, and mm. really, you know, if I'm going to be honest, not really acknowledged very much in terms of uh, mitigations and mask wearing mm. and that sort mm. of thing. You know, we're in this kind of windowless almost airless conference center it felt a bit a little mm. bit covidy but yes i have felt slightly ill ever since but <laughs> i'm not sure if that was <laughs> it's not a confirmed covid but <laughs> should have been the content who knows <laughs> yes um well should we move on to to these interviews then? i'm keen to to get listening to to those uh so perhaps we should start with martin marshall as the, the keynote speaker and it, and it leads us into our second um a chat with with Emma as well. Uh, so he talked about something which I think you hear Martin Marshall talk about quite a bit, isn't it? Which is continuity of care and the the um, the role of the GP and how we can, I suppose, protect or maintain that that role in in modern general practice. Uh, yeah. So shall we have a listen to to what he said when I I spoke to him on a corridor and people kept walking past? So I'm not sure how much of that will come through, but um, apologies for the footsteps in advance. My name's uh, Martin Marshall, Chair of the Royal College of GPs and a GP in Newham in East London. Great. Well, um, in your so keynote speech earlier, you were talking a lot about continuity of care and you were, you were telling us about the, the sort of evidence base for that. I suppose in, a, in a, just a few sentences, because I think we, as GPs, we kind of know that it works, but what, what do we know about it? And, and is it really proven that continuity of care saves lives? So, yeah, I think um, you're right that intuitively we're, we're, we're trained to deliver continuity of care, to build relationships with our with our patients. And I think it probably is one of the defining features of general practice, what makes general practice different from disease-focused uh, specialties. It's the extent to which we make a connection with our patients and then use that connection to deliver better care. And the research evidence is actually quite clear um, in so much as it's... it's um, been developed across two or three decades um, across many different healthcare systems and the results are really consistent. So if I see a patient who I know and who I trust and they trust me, then the evidence is that that patient is more likely to be uh, satisfied uh, with the consultation. Uh, they're more likely to um, uh, to uh, ag agree with or adhere to any advice uh, that I give them. Uh, they're more likely to have better health outcomes. Uh, they're less likely to go to emergency departments. They're less likely to require prescriptions. They're less likely to be admitted to hospital. And the evidence that came out just two or three years ago, which I think has come as a great surprise to many people, is they're even less likely to die. So, you know, continuity of care. And then, of course, for the healthcare system as a whole, um, we know that um, care is... Um, more efficient it's cheaper if you if you deliver through relationships so the evidence actually is really convincing yeah. our challenge is getting policymakers to understand that so that's the bit i'm really interested in is 
how many times must have you stood in front of a group of people and told them <laughs> that this works and, and, and to deliver, delivered that message? Do, do you feel like you're sort of banging your head against a brick wall sometimes? I don't feel like I'm banging my house, my, myself, my head against a brick wall as far as clinicians are concerned, because right. most clinicians get it. Those clinicians who are a bit sceptical are just sceptical about our ability to deliver it in the current environment with yeah. all the stresses and maybe with the societal changes that we've seen as well. So I think, but I think clinicians, you know, people go into general practice because they're interested in people yeah. and interested in how they could utilise relationships. So clinicians is fine. Yeah. The public, by and large, are very sympathetic and very encouraging as well. You know, some some of the public, um, you know, perhaps will will rate access is more important than seeing the same doctor but too so often we hear patients talking about my doctor yes and we hear about their irritations yes. of having to you see somebody now? new exactly yeah, exactly yeah. exactly no, sorry i'm only here today <laughs> well exactly exactly yeah and you know so often they're they're, they're irritated by having repeat information yes. they want you to to understand them you know at, at the most basic level of having you know understanding what the condition is they're presenting but yeah. you know at a more sophisticated level understand their environment yeah. you know their family situation yeah. their relationships yeah. what what gives them a buzz and what worries them what frightens them and, yeah. that, and that's what we can do as GPs so, so, so the problem is that is the politicians, politicians the policy yeah. makers yeah. and the system leaders yeah. for whom it feels to me as if they just they just regard continuity as just a little bit too soft yeah you know it's not something that hard that they can get their yeah. get their ha head around easily and yeah. and that's very frustrating yeah, so you can't put a number on it. Well, yeah, but you kind of can, can't you? But you, it's not easy to, to put a number or, or to specify exactly. <laughs> so we, we're doing this interview in a corridor, which is probably not my, the best idea I've ever had. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so there's that difficulty in getting the, the, the politicians and policymakers to, to believe us. And then... So I mean, what, what we're doing about that, if I if yeah. I could if I could jump in, is yeah. trying to understand what it is that make, makes them tick. What what are yeah. the arguments that they would understand? Yeah. And I think you know if you're a politician, and you know most politicians are are, are very bright, they're value driven, they want to get stuff done. Yeah. If we can make the case that um, yeah. that a system based on relationships is higher value, yeah. i.e. you get better outcomes at lower cost, that feels to me, particularly mm. in the current environment, mm. to be a really strong argument. So that's what we're pushing. And are we pushing, are you pushing, could we push for that to be incentivised in the usual way, like with Quaff and other schemes, you know, that actually your performance is sort of um, based on your level of continuity that you provide? Would that... Do you think the GP profession want that as well, or would that go down like a lead balloon? Well, I, I don't think that's the right way of um, encouraging something which should be a core professional value. Right. So it feels to me as if you know, if you if you value continuity, yes. then it's in your heart and you want to deliver it, yeah. and you will be deeply frustrated that you find it sure. more difficult to deliver than before. So the idea of attaching specific financial incentives to it, to me, seems to be a really bad idea because we know what happens. Um, yeah. GPs are intelligent. People people and they know how to game specific performance management uh, yes. techniques so just more generally as a college we are uh, we think that um quaff or, or and other forms of incentivizing are ready for a change we've had them for nearly 20 years yeah. we can see the benefits there have been some benefits but we can also see the unintended consequences yeah. particularly around um getting the right balance between internal motivation professional motivation and external motivation yeah. Yeah. so so i don't think that's the right okay. answer all right I'll, I'll try and see if that was a that was the solution that everyone had been overlooking but never <laughs> obviously not um what do you say to, you brought this up in your, your speech, your keynote speech at the, the conference, to the, the earlier career GP who 
you know, do you find it harder to make this argument or to, you know, or, or for their values to be aligned with, with yours and your experience? Yeah, I think I think there is a risk of that, mostly because you know I'm I'm passionate about continuity care because I've seen it work. You know, I've been around for 30 years. I've worked in practices that have stable populations and st stable um, uh, patient groups uh, and stable clinicians, yeah. and they're able to deliver continuity care and they can see the benefits of it. I think a lot of our early career colleagues haven't necessarily been in that position, particularly because they've been practicing at a time when the system is under um, yeah. such pressure. So our job has to be, I. Think, Think to redefine what we mean by continuity of care and to make it relevant to modern society and, and to that group of clinicians. Yeah. And that means thinking differently about it. So the old idea of having you know one GP, one patient for 40 years, which is the model that I was brought up to, yeah. is, it's still deliverable in some parts of the country in some practices, but yeah. in many it isn't. Yeah. So how do we think differently about that? And that's, that's partly about thinking about how we can deliver continuity through a team rather mm. than through individuals, mm. given that you know, a lot of people want to work part-time, for example. Um, it's partly about using technology to, um, to improve the way that we deliver continuity care rather than to uh, damage it. And it's partly about understanding that um, you don't have to know somebody for a long period of time to make a connection with them. Mm. And in my speech, I talked about speed relationships. And this is yeah. about, you know, as GPs, we're taught to understand the human condition. We understand the psychology and sociology of what makes people tick, what um, you know, uh, and, and I think that is something that we need to understand and respect in ourselves as a skill set. Mm -hmm. So you can make quick relationships. They might not be as substantive as, as a long-term relationship over time, but they're still useful. It's still very, it can make a huge difference to, to people's journeys, can't it? Exactly. As patients, yeah. Um, that's great. I, I, won't, I won't keep you too long. So just one other question. Um, so I'm asking, trying to ask people, you know, do, do you, I'm sure you're going to say yes to this. Do, do you still love being a GP? And, and, and well, yes, let's just check that first. Is that, is that Yeah, right? absolutely. And I've got no doubt at all that I made the right career choice in, okay. in, in medicine. In fact, you know, I, I, I think I was always going to become a GP because I've always been more fascinated by people than I am by diseases. Yeah. Uh, I've always enjoyed working in a more autonomous environment. I don't like the hierarchy of, of, of hospitals. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a natural GP and I'm really glad that I do it and I still love doing it. Well, that's a relief to hear. And what, 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 do you, what do you love the most? What's the thing that kind of, that's the thing that gets me into to work? Or when it happens, it's, it's a joy. Yeah, I, I think it is about seeing patients who you know and understand and being able to help them and seeing in their eyes that you're helping them when you when you make a connection with them and you're able to help them to cope with 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 with, with life. So that's the main thing. And the other thing I think is just having great colleagues. You know, the environment that we work in in general practice part of a multidisciplinary team, part of a close-knit team uh, in an organisation that has some kind of autonomy over what it does, some flexibility, yep. that to me is just great as well. So that's Martin. I, I was quite quite heavy on the conversational oil, though, wasn't I? Like the, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the conference, it's the conference buzz, you know. In, kind of... in yeah, conference schmoozing mode. <laughs> but that was so interesting, I thought. Um, yeah, as you said, continuity was one of the big themes and it does seem to be on everyone's radar at the moment. Um, 
what I what I struggle to get my head around is the delivery of it, which um, another talk that I went to at the conference was all about workforce projections <laughs> and the projected shortages of GPs under various scenarios. And we are due to be quite substantially short of GPs. <laughs> we already are, but, you know, that's a problem mm. that's going to get worse. Um, and... And to me, I know I know that, you know, people talk about the continuity of teams and, you know, it won't be about having your individual patient list, but about, yeah, having sort of teams in the community, not just, it won't just be GPs, but, you know, nurses and all the other allied um, professionals work, working together. But it, it's still, it, it's still hard for me to sort of uh, get my head around how that will happen. So there mm. we go. Let's start with something really negative. <laughs> about, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry to burst the balloon, but um, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I think. Do did you do you agree that like everybody is on the same? You know, when you speak to clinicians, people are on the same page about continuity. Well, that's one thing I I just wrote down there. I think, think listening to that back again. I mean, I'm I'm all behind that message personally, and I've been lucky enough to work in a practice for several years where where I've had those benefits. Um, Having said that, leave, leaving that practice at the end of last year, the, there's a, a bit of me was a bit relieved that, that those relationships were ending. Is that is that terrible? But like, like it does make your job easier, but also it sometimes makes it. There's, there's something else that changes, I think, and I think um, I do wonder how much. Yeah. If you took a straw poll of 100 GPs, particularly the first five years GPs, how many really do want to do it because they love they're interested in people and because they like that one-to-one relationship with their patients. Um, I think there's lots of other good reasons to, to, to want to be a GP and to be a good GP. Yeah. I'm not sure if there are so many of those people around who just love the, yeah. the relationship side of it. I mean, I, so I, I'm a locum GP, so I often don't, the relationship side of it for me is often about one consultation, you know, meeting people in one consultation and then most likely mm. I, I won't see them again. Um, and there is, that still has its own, you know, seeing patients, you know, can always, all the good things and that come with that, you know, I still mm. feel I experience, but I don't get that relationship over time. And I, I do miss that. Um, but I completely hear what you're saying is it comes with its own challenges <laughs> as well. And I wonder what, I wonder what it, it's like for patients. Cause I often hear mixed things from patients that, you know, on the one hand, yes, they love having a name, you know, knowing who their GP is. That was so, um, that so relatable. Are you my GP now? I've definitely had that many times, and I'm like, no, I'm only here, only here for the day. Um, but actually, some some patients like like being able to see different different GP. You know, if they're in a practice mm. with several GPs, being able to see different ones depending on the problem, or um, you know, depending on their current relationship with with the with the practice um, at that time. Hmm. So the BMJ published a, an editorial uh, in at the end of June um, called Tackling the Crisis in Primary Care, which was by Charlotte Patterson and Rebecca Rosen, who are two senior fellows at the health think tank, the Nuffield Trust. And they're, they're talking, the editorial talks about the, the various challenges in, in primary care at the moment. Um, and one of them being this um, dichotomy that's set, set up, sometimes set up between choosing between 
um, access and continuity. And actually what we need is, you know, we need access that works for patients and we need, you know, con- and continuity with all the advantages that it brings as well. And I was interested to hear um, Martin talking about um, the fact that policymakers don't still fully get it and, you know, trying to find a way for policymakers to um, sort of to, to try and convey the advantages of continuity in a way that um, will appeal to policymakers. I think that that does sound like a challenge, but I was struck by, I just wanted to read out one paragraph from the editorial because I, I, I thought it does really sell kind of continuity, okay, to someone who already gets the, the value of it. But um, I, I wonder if it will resonate with readers. Um, so okay. just to read this section out. In particular, policymakers still do not fully acknowledge the extent to which GPs prevent overuse of other health services by holding risk in the community, which provides enormous benefit to the NHS as a wider system, and crucially, the importance of continuity of care in enabling this. While the associations between continuity, patient trust and risk holding are not fully understood, evidence shows that relational continuity builds high trust relationships and patient confidence in the safety of their care. At the same time, knowing your patient well supports good clinical judgment, particularly when dealing with undifferentiated systems. All these factors are needed to support GPs in managing uncertainty and holding clinical risk safely in the community. So that I think... um, it's quite interesting, you know, that they're two really hmm. holding risk and um, it is one of the, the really challenging parts of the job, I think. Mm. And I think it is easy to, you know, I, mm. underestimate that. And I think as a locum, that is something I often feel is that, you know, by often I yeah. don't know the patient so as well, or don't have their background. So that can feel like an added challenge. Yeah, yeah. And holding risk in a positive way, I think there's that there could be misconstrued as, uh, you know, denying investigations or things but um yeah 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 just just to be able to say well let's have a look in another week's time is is very helpful uh even if that continuity is for a relatively short period of time I should think there's a benefit in that even without 20 years of um knowing one another yeah well let's move to our, our second interview uh now shall we which is I think one of the challenges or one thing that struck me from that that chat to martin was you know do we need to be a bit more creative about about this and the gp role and that continuity or or what what the gp looks like to patients or the community um so we spoke to um a gp in the northwest called uh, emma gladwin field Uh, i got a text from from duncan who's our uh, producer to say come come to room 14 there's a really good one (laughs) let's go and talk to her so I, I I had to miss somebody's audit on on COVID to uh, to get across to that room and, and uh, have a chat with with Emma, uh, and I'm really glad I did because she she is um, a really interesting GP to talk to, very friendly and and yeah gave me that good conference vibe too. So uh, let's have a listen to to Emma after this from our sponsor. When you're a GP, you're not just nine to five. Being a GP is part of who you are, whatever the time of day. So when it comes to your indemnity, you need someone you can turn to at any time. Medical protection is always here for you, with expert medico-legal advice, including 24-7 in an emergency. We don't just cover patient claims. We're also here to provide support and legal representation when it comes to GMC inquiries, 
coroner inquests, criminal investigations and more. Online, we offer risk prevention courses and webinars to keep you up to date with current news, risks and legislation. We also go the extra mile when it comes to your well-being. With a free counselling service and e-care app, we're helping members take positive steps to better mental and physical health. It's the protection your career deserves, all in one place. And if you're about to qualify or have recently qualified, we can help you take the next step in your career with savings on membership for newly qualified GPs. To find out more, visit medicalprotection.org. So let's go back to that chat I had with Emma Gladwinfield. So uh, my name's Emma Gladwinfield and I work in Rosendale, which is in East Lancashire. Great. Uh, not far from where I grew up. So that's great. Um, tell us, so we're at the RCGP conference. Tell us what your talk was about. And So my talk was called Head Teachers and GPs, The New Power Couple. <laughs> because as a GP, I've been working really closely with head teachers in the area. And GPs and head teachers, there are so many similarities between us. Both trusted in the community, responsible. And we both spend a lot of time with the same families. And we both go to bed at night worrying about the same families. And also, speaking to lots of head teachers, they are generally really worried about obesity in Rosendale. That was one of my slides because almost a quarter of 11-year-olds leave primary school obese in Rosendale. So something has to be done. And we can't wait for them to come into our surgery, age 25, type 2 diabetic. We need to act now. So what I've been doing is connecting with schools, with churches, community centres and taking the primary healthcare team out in doing workshops and blood pressure checks, um, physical activity sessions, nutritional sessions, lots of different things with different organisations. Wow, so, so a complete change from sitting behind your desk, going through your list... Yeah, um, what made you decide to do that? Was it just... Well, I've always felt that I could do more and that in general practice we're firefighting a lot of the time and I just felt what I could do for my community is to get out there and see if I could make little tweaks, talk to people about well-being and just general health and physical activity just to see if they can make it a habit, give them the tools to do it. And luckily, I have an amazing friendship group that a lot of them are healthcare professionals and they've helped me do it. So what what was the first step with that? It's something I would think, yeah, I want to go and like do something in my community, but well, do you know what, what? I actually do? The first step <laughs> was on Christmas Day okay. 2018 and I had a lovely bath and it just suddenly came to me I know, I'm go- I've, I'd just been to a conference, it was really good, it was full of workshops, and I thought, that is what the community needs. A little bit like a conference, interesting speakers, not going on for a long time, yeah. and then workshops that are fun. Yeah. And then I got out of the bath and I texted the vicar. 
and I said, could we borrow the church hall? And he said, yeah, of course, Merry Christmas. And, um, and then the rest, the rest just happened. Do you think it's because you asked him on Christmas Day? I don't know. Yes. No, he's a lovely vicar. Rod Bevan, lovely man. Right, that's such a good point, isn't it? Like, like we're at the conference here, everyone's really happy and, in, and, and energised by it. But also, like, you know, with kids in school, there's all those events are really important to, to the children and families and community, aren't they? Yes. But we're never there. We're invisible, aren't we? Yes, that's it. So it's about making yourself known in the community. Yeah. So I have great links with different um, primary schools. One thing that I really enjoyed doing during the pandemic is that I'm a trainer as well, is that I got my... Um, GP trainees and the medical students I was looking after to do Zoom science lessons okay. for local schools and they loved it, <laughs> like both of them. But it's great practice of communication yeah. skills, you know, talking about the digestive system in a way that six-year-olds can understand. So, you know, it's just being there, familiar face. And yeah. this is what general practice is about. Yeah. You know, I'll, we've forgotten it and I work... How many sessions? Eight sessions a week. So I totally know what it's like. Yeah. And you get drained. And I no wonder our um, profession is burnt out. But it's this little thing. Things like this, to me, yeah. it energises me. Yeah. And I know that it's needed. So I have a practical, boring, practical mm -hmm. question. Like another, another barrier, I think, to doing this is saying, well, I'm working eight sessions. Yeah. Am I going to do six sessions and do, spend two on it? How, and... And how, how are we going to manage the demand, which is never-ending, for, for consultations? Well, a lot of it I've done in my own time. Okay. So on a Friday, which is my day off, yeah. um, I've done it, had the meetings, done the um, wellbeing roadshows in the school. Yeah. But actually what's happened recently is that I've linked up with um, Sports England and a local delivery pilot pirate. <laughs> pirate <laughs> called um, Together an Active Future because okay. Rosendale it's wonderful it's really connected um, and collaboration happens just naturally there mm. um, and we've we've obviously Together an Active Future is based in East Lanx so um, mm. they've started paying me and funding okay. me for you know and these weird ideas that I come up with they're like <laughs> yeah that's a really good idea yeah yeah, yeah well that's good so, so you yeah, I guess that's how things happen, isn't it? You do have to yes, that's it. sometimes just put your own time and effort in first, unfortunately. Yes, but, but it's, it's worth it, it in yeah. the end. And I would do it if it wasn't yeah, um, yeah. funded. It's just that now it makes life a little bit easier because I am dropping some sessions, yeah. actually, but okay. I'm doing something else instead, <laughs> working at UCLan Medical School. Oh, right. So. <laughs> <laughs> how do you find being... I presume people in Rosendale know you, they see you on the street. Oh, it's, doc, it's, doc, yeah. it's a doctor. It's, do you mind that? Do you like that? No, I don't, I don't mind it because I think it makes them realise I'm human. Yeah. They'll see me at the gym sweating. They'll see me at Tesco when the children are having tantrums. <laughs> at the end of the day, we are human, yeah, aren't yeah. we? And um, I know that, you know, the public put doctors on pedestals it shouldn't be like no. that should it no. you know we're real people and it's nice i'm out and about and um it's really nice actually when you see children in the park and they'll say oh there's dr emma she made me feel better and stuff like that yeah. you know that's gold yeah. star award, do you think there's that. a kind of reluctance for i don't obviously you can't speak for the whole of gps but do we shy away from that a bit yes. too much, do you think? Yeah, I think, but that's personality types, yeah. isn't it? I'm yeah. very, very social. Right. I talk to anyone. <laughs> As you can tell, sorry. Even us, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Yeah. So there's there's a, 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 obviously it. that, isn't there? Yeah. But, um, but I've got to say, you know, the GPs in Rosendale. And the ones that live in Rosendale, we're seeing a lot. We're involved, you know, football, kids stuff. We're, we're there. Yeah, OK. I tend to hide it from people. But I'm going to be, I'm do going to you? take a leaf out of your book oh. <laughs> and go and tell everyone, all the well, parents. Well, do you yeah. practice in the same place you live? Um, I've just moved, but I'm, I'm beginning to, yes. And right. I'm, I'm actually debating, do I take the job actually in and around my community or do yeah. I go, like, 20 minutes drive no, away? No, take it in take your community it, yeah. because... Okay. You know, that less commuting, yeah, being close to home, yeah. it's just worth it. Yeah, okay, yeah. I will, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> career advice as well. Um, I just wanted, we've also heard here about, like, lots of people are worried about the public perception of GPs. Yeah. I wonder if you being in amongst everyone much more, like, do you think that's changed? Uh, yes, I think it has with COVID because a lot of our patients just feel like we're um, not there, they can't see us. Um, some of them even think that, you know, we haven't been working during yeah, the pandemic. Yeah, open yet. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, so, yeah, public's perception has changed. Now, one thing I did during COVID was I did um, a daily sort of um, face FaceTime on the local Facebook page and just yeah. sort of said, um, you know, oh, this news has come in and, yeah. you know, things like that. And I got a lot of good feedback about that, that, you know, for the elderly patients, people who weren't sure what on earth a pandemic was, a virus was, yeah. seeing their local GP saying, well, you know, this is what we've been told, this is what we know at the moment. Yeah. Um, Really, that must really have been helped. really, really so comforting, and they, I you think know, it when, was when for everything's them. kind of um, yeah changing around you. Yes, that, that source of um, stability as well, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm asking everyone. Like, do, well, you obviously love love being a GP, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um, what's what's the one thing that you love the most, or that gets you to work every day? Um, I think it's the continuation of care and just knowing everything about a patient that comes in you know that you've treated the son last week with an earache you know that the mum has just been diagnosed with breast cancer you don't yeah. have to ask the questions you know that person yeah yeah and they i think martin marshall was said to you you can see it in their eyes that that they kind of trust you and they're they're yes. happy to be and you know when yeah. you have that elderly patient um and they're just feeling a little bit off. And then you finish taking the history and they just say, do you know what? I feel so much better after talking to you. You know, doctors, we are medicine. Mm. Yeah, and it's all about this relationship, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. She's a legend, isn't she? What a lovely chat. That was so nice. So you you heard uh, uh, Emma there talking about being being very visible in her community and loving it, clearly, and say, actually, that's what GP's all about. You know, the familiar face down the street in Tesco. What, what's your view on that? I, I, I'm obviously the opposite of that. <laughs> I'm, like, hiding away. Well, going to a Tesco as far from, from the practice as possible. <laughs> Um, well, I, um, mm. I, I think there's something very compelling about what she was saying about portraying 
the human side of uh, of GPs and of doctors generally um, that you know, particularly at a time where it feels like the media have had it in for GPs, just, you know, showing that GPs are real people in, you know, in your community as well. There seems like there is definitely some value to that. Um, Personally, um, I, you know, I have bumped into patients in Tesco before and it is hard not to feel like, um, to feel that you're a bit, little bit extra scrutinised. You know, I feel like there were some glances down at my basket and like, oh, that's a big bar of chocolate in her basket. That could just be me projecting. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, well, you know, that's oh, two bottles of red wine, mm. not one. You know, that sort of thing, you know. Um, but uh, I, I definitely see the the value in it. And I think a lot, um, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. But as she said, maybe it's personality as well. Yeah. Do you think some of the reason then that that, that, um, that campaign against... GPs and you know remote consultations like the reason that resonates well is because the public maybe want us to be a bit more visit like or pre-pandemic was feeling that we were not as visible or um fate like whatever the opposite of faceless is as um they'd like us to be yeah um, I mean maybe maybe I mean I, I think the my sense is that a, a public that would want a their a GP that they can you know for their practices to kind of be be easy to get hold of um I, I think rather than but I, I would imagine that having a GP who's part of the community and doing that kind of outreach work that sounds like um Emma's doing of you know posting to local Facebook groups and that sort of thing that does sound really really valuable and a, you know what a great ambassador for general practice you know I, I think st- work like that is really valuable actually at helping well that's interesting because you after your radio four listeners will all know that you're you're a regular on inside health their um health uh series um where i guess you're doing the same thing aren't you to, to radio four listeners but i guess so i've never really thought about it in that way but, but yeah i mean there is something to that the the part about wanting to yeah, like that sort of health promotion side of general practice, I suppose, is about, you know, um, that there is, I guess, maybe something in us that, you know, we see health as being not just about um, the individual patient in front of us, I guess, but um, also improving the health, the knowledge of um, our communities. Um, and maybe that's maybe that's part of why I'm on the inside health, maybe. Yeah. Or maybe it's the fame or maybe it's the... The massive check you get every time you do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not not such a big check, no, but okay. um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I have to ponder that a bit more. Um, I think, yeah, I think, um, I, I think uh, you know, it's probably similar to the reason I work for the BMJ as well, which is that I've I, I like communicating about health and and medicine. Um, and, and I think uh, that's why I like GP as well. Mm. Well, chose the right careers then. <laughs> Good. Yeah. <laughs> um, Did you take that job, Tom? I wanted to ask you. The job? <laughs> you, well. The local uh, job. It's not wasn't really. I was probably slightly exaggerating of it. it, it I'm, I'm still going to be locoming for a bit, but I've, I'm doing some regular sessions Actually, both some some locally and some not locally. So I'm still on the fence. But uh, you're doing some research and doing uh, some A/B testing. It's exactly like. yeah, 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 yeah. But actually, with the locoming, I'm I'm not sort of going to any 
in, in any old practice, but I'm, I'm just trying to stick to one or two and, and, and do it semi-regularly, which I know you're not supposed to do for very long as a locum, but, um, you know, I do still enjoy the, the fact that I will be there next week and I yeah. will be able to follow up on those patients or, yeah. um, already already building up <laughs> quite the, the, the list of, of regulars so oh well there you go maybe um maybe it's more about the relationship for you than you think yeah spot on my terms and I can just end it whenever <laughs> I want it's an interesting insight into your psyche there Tom yeah <laughs> uh anyway moving on um anything else from that that uh I, I thought the idea of con- conference workshops and actually being yeah we do enjoy conference workshops or we do uh, kids enjoy workshops don't they in the summer holidays or whatever so you know using that why wouldn't that work for for healthcare promotion or or outreach things as well yeah yeah and it's quite nice to have that in a setting that's away from you know the practice it feels kind of separate to that I I have to say it's admirable um how people GPs do this kind of thing in their in their free time I think it's really Mm. amazing and actually that was that stood out to me at the conference as well that the people who seemed kind of the most energized were people who seem to have taken on these additional sort of projects whether that's in their community or, or doing research or whatever it is that's kind of um helping them rediscover some of that joy I guess of of uh, being a GP um but mm. you know often sacrificing some time to do that so I have mm. to say I'm, I was incredibly impressed by that yeah yeah no it was wasn't it there was some obviously it's a self-selecting bunch going to a conference but uh it was lovely to see people actually enjoying what they're doing or feel you're sounding passionate about it yeah um I'm not sure if uh, PCN clinical directors always have the same enthusiasm about their <laughs> their extra roles but if you if that's wrong that let us know <laughs> so we've we've heard from a couple of people from the conference and actually we've got a few more interviews to to use so we've we've got plenty in the bag for the next couple of episodes haven't we enough joy <laughs> including something about returning to work after a, a year off often that's maternity leave but but for other reasons too and there's a nice uh interview of a GP who who had a poster on that at the conference um, and might be a good time to say you know if 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 you want to come on the podcast or talk to us then it'd be great to hear from somebody who's who's had some time off and returned to to GP and what 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 that's been like um and we have heard from a few listeners haven't we that they quite like these uh topics maybe less clinical more about trying to solve those kind of common problems we have in GP yeah, yeah. I mean, the feedback we've had is that hearing about how um, GPs and practices are solving some of the challenges that, you know, we often talk about and, and find, you know, we all know how thorny and difficult they can be to solve. But, but at a sort of individual practice or area level, people are coming up with ways to to find solutions. And so we'd love to hear from people who, you know, have found ways to, you know, have a, a really good um solution to appointments for example that works for them or or to or to continuity within your practice for example Mm. we'd really love to um hear from you and showcase some of some examples of those so if you'd like to get in touch you can email us at practice at bmj.com navjoit is on twitter uh i am i'm at navjoit ladder so so get in touch anyway and um we'd love to hear from you um so I think that brings us to the end of the episode. Uh, thanks, Navjoy. It's been fun reminiscing about our, our time at the conference. Yeah, it has. Thanks very much, Tom. See you next time. 
Uh, and thanks to Martin and thanks to Emma for, for those interviews. Uh, if you're enjoying Deep Breath In, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you have time, leave us a review or send us your five stars or just tell your colleagues and um, try and boost our listener numbers. We'll see you in a couple of weeks with more from the conference and more chat about GP life. Bye for now.